Good morning, everyone. My name is Ryan, and I am not one of the pastors here. <laughs> um, I am not a pastor um, by title or by calling, maybe. Um, the last time Pastor Matthew, um, he sometimes liked to call me Pastor Ryan jokingly on purpose. And the last time he did so from this platform caused a little bit of a stir among some of my friends. They came to me after service. Is there something we need to know? And I said, no. I guess he's just speaking those things that are not as though they are. <laughs> so now, I, I get it though. Sometimes it's just easier to call me pastor. I do serve in a pastoral-like role as community outreach director. I provide pastoral counseling, lead Bible, community Bible studies. Um, I visit and assistant living um, and nursing homes. And I provide godly wisdom to my staff and friends who serve at the food shelf. All pastoral-like things. So why not Pastor Ryan? Well, if I'm being honest, I have baggage with the title based on personal experience and the weight that comes along with the role. Do you guys know how hard it is for me to be up here in front of you right now? The mic is shaking a little bit, but normally for me, once I grab the mic, I start feeling a little more courage. But it's hard standing up here with all eyes on me. You know, it's a lot of pressure. What if I say the wrong thing? I know God is gracious, but humans, not so much. <laughs> and I'll tell you this right now. You can continue to send your Sunday complaints to Matthew St. John at, at perusual.org. <laughs> okay. So what is my baggage with the word pastor? Okay. Again, this is my baggage. So when I think of a pastor based on my experience, people look to the pastor to be their pillar of righteousness. Some of us hold the pastor to expectations that we don't even have for ourselves. And let me just say, I am nobody's pillar of righteousness, okay? Out of this mouth comes blessings and cursings, all right? Just ask me about the Chicago Bears and you will see that it is true. You will owe taste and see. <laughs> But please don't provoke your brother to wrath. Green Bay won yesterday. That's all me lost yesterday. That's all Bears fans can hold on to is when Green Bay lose. All right. Then there are those of us who look for the pastor to give some sort of declaration or edict from the pulpit, hanging on every word, and it better be aligned to the right theology and talking points and worldview, or risk being labeled a heretic. Good grief. And how about pastors with keen intellect and knowledge of the word? I remember when I first came to New Hope, uh, many of the pastors um, could write off scripture by memory and quote author after author. And I remember saying to the Lord, if you ever called me to be a minister at this place, 
I'm going to have to go to seminary and learn how to do that. Okay? That's what I said to myself. But here's the thing. That voice was me. And I remember clear as day the Holy Spirit saying to me later on, I didn't bring you here to be like everyone else. I brought you here to be you. And so when I gave myself that permission to be me, you know, I started getting a little more comfortable in my role around here. And don't get me wrong, all of that memorization is impressive and have its place. Scripture says to study to show yourself approved. A workman needeth not be ashamed, 2 Timothy 2. But it's also intimidating. You ever been around somebody who can rattle off scripture after scripture? That could be intimidating. And at the end of the day, it's just not me. I may not be able to quote certain scripture verbatim, but I can do a mean Google search. <laughs> and that's okay. It still requires me to study to be familiar enough to know what I'm looking for. And I still need godly wisdom for life application. So you can't get around that studying part. Okay. Again, I'm talking about my baggage with the title of pastor. Now, I've also been in church environments where everyone ingratiates themselves to the pastor for favor and power and titles and positions. Sounds a lot like politics, don't it? <laughs> yeah, not like church. Whereas me, I believe in cultivating and developing leaders based on interests and gifts not manipulation and kickbacks, okay? And what about the royal priesthood? There are those pastors who want to be waited on hand and foot by their armor bearers and their attendants with their goblets of water and juice. You can lose me with all of that, okay? See, this is the imagery again that I've had of a, of a pastor along the way in my years of being a Christian. So. This is baggage, and this is some of the reasons why I shy away from the title. Now, what about the weight that comes with the territory? Okay. First, I was taught that you had to know that you know that you know you were called to be a pastor because God is not one to be trifled with. Ain't that right, Brother Leroy? Absolutely. He's not one to be trifled with. On top of that, the calling had to be proclaimed by some angelic host or a thunderous rain cloud or coming from Mount Sinai or some blinding radiant light, okay, in a dream or something to that dramatic effect. <laughs> Talk about weight. That's a lot of weight. Lord, I'm thinking I'm hearing, you better know that you know. Okay, no, thank you. No, thank you. It's, it's almost like you didn't have permission to seek and to seek God to see, is this really what you are calling me to do? It was, it was emphasized that you had to know that you know that this calling um, was for you. Now, that is weight from man. But what about God? I mean, he is gracious, but he still holds us accountable especially when we proclaim to be his messenger. Okay, so let's look at the qualifications of an overseer in 1 Timothy. I'm not going to read the whole thing um, for you. You can see it for yourself. But if you look at um, 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, 
it gives the qualifications of an overseer. And it talks about um, being a husband of one wife and having some self-control, respectable, hospitable, okay? Um, not being quick to anger. Scripture says not to be a rookie um, so that you don't get lifted up and puffed up. All noble and good things totally make sense why God would require these attributes because he wants his representative to reflect his holiness. 1 Peter 1, 14 and 15 says, as obedient children, be not conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Holiness is what God is looking for from us. But here's the thing, Lord. I am a naughty son. <laughs> Paul said in 1 Timothy that he was the chief of all sinners. Well, Paul, slide over and save a seat for me. Lord, do you know my ways, my thoughts, my actions? They don't always align to your will. You don't want me as a pastor. These are the voices that I wrestle with and the weight that I want to avoid, if I'm being honest. But can I really avoid it? Can I really avoid it? Now, we just read the prerequisite and the qualifications of what it means to be an overseer. And I don't know about you, but when I apply for a job, I like to read the job description first. Like, let me see what this job is really talking about. And do I want to sign up on the dotted line? So I see what the overseer and what's required. Do I want to sign up on the dotted line? Not necessarily so. But can I avoid it? No. The answer is no, because regardless if I'm a pastor or not, God still requires his disciples to strive towards righteous living and obedience. I want to underscore that, to strive, strive. Strive means I'm making an attempt. It means I'm trying, okay? To strive towards righteous living and obedience, obedience. You can't say you love God if you're constantly disobeying him. Think about yourself if you have children or if you're a grandparent and your, ch and your child say, oh, dad or mom, I love you, or grandparents, I love you, but they're constantly doing the opposite of what you tell them to do. That doesn't feel like love. So God wants us to strive towards righteous living and obedience, and he is calling each of us as believers to be salt and light in a cold and dark world. Let's look at Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You can read the rest of the passage up there. In this passage, Jesus likened his disciples to salt. They were to the world what salt is in everyday life. Salt seasons food. It hinders the spread of corruption. If you think back in older times before we had refrigeration, salt was used to, to help meat to last longer, to preserve it, okay? And it creates thirst, and it brings out flavor. This is what salt does. If a seasoning has no flavor, 
it has no value. If Christians make no effort, remember I said strive towards God's righteousness. So if a Christian makes no effort to affect the world around them, then we are dimming our lights. And if we are too much like the world, then we are worthless, just like that salt or that seasoning with no flavor. Christians should not blend in with everyone else. Instead, we should affect others positively, just as seasoning bring out the best flavor in food. But Lord, okay, this is conversations I'm having with myself. I'm a naughty son. And perhaps you're a naughty daughter or a naughty son that keeps stumbling. Listen, when you become a Christian, it does not mean that you miraculously become sinless. But it should mean that you sin less. Okay? Because you want to please your heavenly father. I'll say it again. Sin less, not sinless. If we could live a sinless life, then my Lord and Savior Jesus didn't have to die on that old rugged cross, if that was possible. And if you're here today and you've been led to believe that you can't be a follower of Christ because you have sin in your life or you can't be a witness because you have issues, then I say to you, welcome to the club. We all have issues, all right? The devil wants to steal our hope. He wants to kill our dreams. He wants to destroy your potential. And how does he manage to do all of that? He gets in our head and brings up our past and whisper lies. Look at you. You sinned again. You'll never stop. You're disqualified. Stop fighting and just embrace it. How many of us have heard that before? Just embrace it. Everyone thinks you're no, you're no good. You made way too many mistakes. Well, devil, I am reminded in Romans 8 and 1 that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. See, when an enemy is trying to put lies into your ears about who you are, you have to remind yourself in God's word who actually you belong to and the power that you have in his word. If we take a lesson from our Lord and Savior, whenever lies from the enemy was thrown at him, he combated it with the word. Because darkness cannot stand with light. And we, when we shine the light of God's word on the lies that the enemy is putting into our ears, it can't do anything but go away. At the sound of the name Jesus, demons tremble. Okay, so we have the power within us to combat them lies. Because at the same time the devil is trying to kill our potential, Jesus is trying to breathe life into it. Throughout scripture, okay, we see God using imperfect people for the sake of his mission. He didn't call the popular rich or successful to further his ministry, but rather the poor, the broken, and the faithful. That's what he's looking for, faithfulness. Don't believe me? Okay. Let's look at some examples. Let's look at Brother Abraham in the Old Testament. Abraham was old when God 
told him to sojourn. And when he told him that he was going to be the father of many nations, this, new, this covenant that he was making with him. But what did Abraham and Sarah do to help God? Abraham had a baby with his side chick. Oh, yeah. They, they existed in the Bible, too, back in the day. Yeah. yeah. He, had a, he had a baby with his side chick. But still, the Bible refers to him as the father, father of all nations. Now, listen here. Abraham sinned, but God still used him. Now, does it mean that his sin miraculously goes away? No. Sometimes in God's graciousness, he has mercy. He intervenes. And we don't always suffer the consequences on earth, the penalty of our sin. But sometimes, in his sovereignty, he let things play out. I still love you, but you was hard-headed. I didn't ask you to do that. Now you have to see that play out. And we're still seeing it play out to this day. Abraham's seed, Isaac, and Ishmael are still fighting over who's the rightful heir over the Gaza Strip. Now, God still used him, though. Even though he made a mistake, him and Sarah trying to help God, but God still used him. What about Moses? Okay. Oh, Mo had a speech impediment. He did. And lacked confidence. And, by the way, Moses killed an Egyptian and hid him in the sand because that Egyptian was mistreating one of his fellow Hebrew brethren. So Moses killed him. And we know the great work that God did through Moses. He gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Okay? How about Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute, yet God used her to hide the spies. And Sister Rahab is on the bloodline of Jesus. Thank you very much. Yes, she is. How about David, this warrior shepherd king? We, we love to tout David and how he danced when the Ark of the Covenant returned. Thank God for, for David. But David was also an adulterer and murderer. Y'all remember Bathsheba and Uriah? Y'all remember Uriah? Uriah was a faithful soldier. Uriah didn't even want to leave David sad. And David gave Uriah his own death sentence and put him on the front line. And yet, the Bible referenced him as the apple of God's eye. That David? Yeah, that David. Because he still had a heart for the Lord in the midst of his mess. Now again, his sin didn't miraculously go away. David had all kind of turmoil in his home, where his own son had him on the run. His son, Absalom. So again, in God's graciousness, yes, he can still use us despite our shortcomings, despite our sins. But let us not ever miss that the mark is striving towards his righteousness. He wants us to strive towards his righteousness, not necessarily for his sake, but for our own. Because he knows the heartache and trouble and pain that can come along the way. Ain't that right, Abraham and David? Oh, yeah. And he wants us to strive towards his righteousness because it's a reflection of his character. How about Peter? Chris Jones mentioned him last week. Peter denied Christ three times, and yet Christ still told him to feed his sheep. And Paul himself, a Pharisee who persecuted Christians before becoming one himself and writing more than half of the New Testament, this is Paul. So I'm here to tell you, if you ever feel like you aren't worthy enough, 
Remember that Jesus used a bunch of flawed people to bring hope to a fallen world. Jesus didn't call the equipped. He equipped the called. And no matter what you've been through in life, remember that the same power that conquered the grave lives within you. Calling. Here we go again. Remember I started off this message airing all of my grievances about why I didn't want to be a pastor. But what about a servant or a disciple or a shepherd? I was reminded by my wife as I was moaning and groaning at home working on this and fussing to myself in the computer screen <laughs> and to myself again. She said, you're caught up on these titles, um, but you have been a lay leader for many years before you ever worked for a church and came on staff. I said, that's right. I was. It didn't matter what the title was. I was a servant. And here's the thing that I know about when you have a servant heart. It don't matter where you go, who you are around, because that's within you. And if it's in you, it's always going to come out. I came to New Hope Church, wanted to take a break from being a lay leader. And that lasted probably all of one month, maybe. <laughs> because it's the wiring that God gave me through my upbringing and nurturing. It's a servant's heart. It doesn't matter what the title is. Because when I think about it, Jesus himself referred to him as the good shepherd. Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd in John 10, 11 through 16. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd. Now that I can get down with. A shepherd gets dirty. See, total opposite from that royal priesthood with the goblet, you know, that's want to sit on the perch and look down. No, the shepherd is down there with the sheep getting dirty. The shepherd cares about the sheep and is Ill, even willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Now that is something I can get down with. See, uh, a shepherd is a servant. As I mentioned earlier how I visit this assistant living, um, I lead a Bible study uh, one week and then I bring my big fluffy Alaskan Malamute um, the following week. And we visit patients and some of the food shelf people know my dog and staff here too because I, I bring him here sometimes too. It's just a pick me up. I've never imagined <laughs> that I would be a person carrying a dog to go visit patients. It, it was nothing that I thought about. Um, but we had an experience here at church and during COVID we got this dog and I said, you know what? I think he can do this. And honestly, it brightens up so many people's day just walking through um, with a dog, okay? And it's amazing how God has used me to feed some of his most precious and vulnerable sheep in unconventional ways. Admittedly, there are times where I don't feel like going or I don't feel like I have much to share. But it's something about when you get proximate with spiritually hungry people. All of those issues and concerns seem to go away. 
Now I find myself checking in on my sheep by name. See, a shepherd knows his sheep by name. And scripture tells us that the sheep hears the voice and know the voice. That, what that illustrates is an intimacy in relationship. And to God's glory with me at this assistant living, now even the workers know about Pastor Ryan. Here we go again. Can't escape it. And I don't even interact with a lot of them. True story. One of the cooks came to me after one of the Bible studies and gave me a big hug. I had never seen this lady before. She came and gave me a big hug and said, thank you for bringing the word of God in this place. There is much more joy around here. We needed this. And my response to her was, to God be the glory. You know why I said to God be the glory? Because I'm no one special. If I had it my way, I would be a lazy bum most days. I'm just going to be honest. But as my oldest son, Nathan, reminded me, God gave you the gift of public speaking, Dad. Yes, he sure did, son. And the gift of leadership. And he nurtured it with a mother who didn't give me any wiggle room to weasel out of it. <laughs> I want to leave you with this challenge. Take an inventory of who God has placed within your sphere of influence and try to determine who are your sheep. For all of us, our first ground for us to be salt and light is our family, our immediate and then extended. Start Jerusalem, then go beyond to Judea and Samaria. Some of us have immediate family who are not walking with the Lord. Some of you have adult children who have stepped away and you're grieved by it. I was just talking to a friend who shared with me that he had a friend since fifth grade, 60 years it took for this person now uh, to be a follower of Christ or interested in being a follower of Christ. Okay? So for some of you, it may be your colleagues and friends. If you are a boss on the job, it could be your work team. Or if you are a ministry leader, it's perhaps your volunteers who are your sheep. Because just because I'm a volunteer and go to church doesn't mean that I don't need shepherding. Because there are things that I can share with you that I may not be able to share with someone else. I can be a little more vulnerable. I could be a little more real, okay? So remember this, you don't have to be a pastor or super Christian pontificating in Greek and Hebrew to be an everyday shepherd. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 and 1 that he didn't come with eloquent speech or lofty words. He said, I came with nothing except Christ Jesus and him crucified. You don't also have to do it the old school way. Did you know you are a sinner on your way to hell? Good luck with that one. <laughs> Who wants to hear that? You coming in my face telling me that. <laughs> uh, how about let's get proximate. Let's be friends. Let's reach out. And it would naturally lend itself for you to obediently follow God's mandate to make disciples. And if you never see the result with your natural eyes, You've sown the seed and gained a friend, perhaps. All right. I'm going to bring us home with this. Five tips on sharing your faith and reaching out. Five tips on sharing your faith 
and reaching out. Number one, use your testimony or God's story. Use your testimony or God's story. Our testimonies are some of the most powerful tools we have for reaching out and sharing our faith. I heard Peg talk this morning about the clients appreciating authenticity. People identify with that. People identify with authenticity. Number two, be a good listener. Love your audience by listening to them and seeking to understand who they are and where they're coming from. When you can put yourself in the shoes of your listener, you will better understand how to speak the light of the gospel into their life. So instead of telling them what you think they need to hear, you instead are listening so that you can be a better shepherd to them. Don't pretend to have all the answers. When we reach out, it's very common to face some tough questions that challenge our beliefs as Christians. It's okay to tell your listener, I don't know the answer. Let me get back to you. Let me look that up. Let me phone a friend. Pray. Prayer is an integral part of the Christian walk. Pray that the Lord would be open. Pray that the Lord would open the hearts of your unbelieving friends and family so that they would be receptive to the gospel. And then number five, the last one, reach out and share your faith. Do it. The last part of the challenge is to go. The title of this series is Let's Move. Okay? So this is the part that's the call to evangelism and discipleship. Um, that is in Matthew 28 and 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. People. The nations are here in the Twin Cities. They're in our communities, on our jobs, and within our families. You may not think that you're qualified, or you may be a little nervous based on your personality. But here's the thing. When you're obedient to God's command, like I am standing up here to you guys today, <laughs> obedience. Obedience has me up here. When you're obedient to God's command, he will give you the strength you need through the Holy Spirit. I am a living witness that you don't have to rely on your own strength and might. Just avail yourself and move. And with that, I close. Thank you, brother. I'd call you pastor, but then I'll be ashamed to do that in front of everybody now that you've uh, razzed me about it. Thank you, Bishop Ryan. It's really good. Hey, would you uh, stand with us here, friends, and uh, listen, you have just heard a word from the God of heaven and earth through our friend and brother and servant right here, Ryan Fair. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Friends, go into the world in peace. Take hold of what is good. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Share the gospel. With those who are lost and who suffer, be a shepherd. Find your sheep. Name them. Pray for them. Reach out to them and just be real 
to them as those who have inherited salvation. We can all do this, friends. We're all supposed to do this together, not because of titles or position, but because we're God's boys and girls. We've got a message to share, a story to tell. Amen? All right, so Father, thank you for Ryan, and thank you for our church family, and thank you for your only begotten son, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's give it up one more time here.